live every weekday at noon and then as a podcast. This is MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jimmy Moyaha standing in for Jeremy Maggs with 30 minutes of express news on the latest developments in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. On the show today, we get a sense of the pre-sona commentary from the youth uh, employment portfolio at Metropolitan, or Momentum Metropolitan rather, and then we speak to debt busters around the latest Q4 2023 debt index. Uh, We also have a conversation with the spokesperson of the South African Federation of Trade Unions as the unions welcome the decision by the Competition Commission to appeal their Forex case. We also speak to Oxfam around their efforts to put people before profits at, at the alternative mining in Daba. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. According to the latest Q4 2023 debt index released by Debt Busters, South Africans are struggling. They've gone through uh, increased inquiries for debt uh, counseling as well as online debt management assistance. I'm joined on the line by uh, Bene Sega, who is the executive head of uh, Debt Busters. To take a look at this, uh, Bene, good day. Thanks so much for the time. These numbers are obviously alarming, but what do they suggest about the state or the health rather of the South African consumer? Yeah, I think the numbers um, need to be seen in context, as you say. Um, we report on these every quarter because, you know, there's a, from a financial perspective, uh, there is a cyclicality to everyone's finances. But, you know, we also would like to take a different view on it in the sense that uh, we can see an increased number of consumers really facing up to the financial situation and doing something about it. You know, and at the end of the day, we, we, we want people to use credit responsibly and pay back. So uh, going back to your question, what, what, does, what does this tell us? Well, I think it tells us that we are really under a lot of pressure from inflation and interest rates. And I would also add uh, the load shedding situation. And the three of them combined really are impacting um, the lack of growth in terms of average salaries. We see that that hasn't grown over the last six or seven years. We see that interest rates have grown dramatically over the last three years in particular, particularly for bonds. Uh, You know, average bond interest rate was about 8.3% per annum three years ago. Now it's about 12.3%. And I'm sure your listeners would know exactly what that means in terms of expected additional payments per month, somewhere between two to 5,000 rand, depending on what size your bond is. And we also see that as a result of lack of growth in incomes, people are having to borrow. Uh, so that they can put food on the table and they can deal with the necessities of life to the extent that we've seen average debt size grow by about 32% unsecured debt compared to a few years ago. I think all of these are compounding essentially in a way making or helping South Africans uh, spend a bit more time on their finances and understand avenues available to them, which debt counseling happens to be one. You mentioned a couple of positives. Uh, sorry, you mentioned a couple of positives there around the consumers wanting to address some of these challenges. Uh, what have you seen in terms of notable patterns around that? Are consumers paying down debt faster? Are they aiming to uh, target certain debts? I think consumers are, are realizing they are in trouble sooner than they did before. So one of the things we track is when someone um, comes and inquires about debt counselling. Uh, what is the number of what we call in the business open trades, but credit agreements that they have that are open at that point in time. 
And we've seen that number inch down uh, to six and stay there for the last few years. Um, and previously it was eight and, uh, or nine. So what that means is I think people are realizing sooner that they, they, they need help and they want to deal with it. So that's one indicator. The second thing is that I think if you look at the age categories that um, consumers are, 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 you know, using the online debt management tools as well as um, applying for debt counseling, in both cases, we certainly see uh, growth on both ends. So we see growth in terms of the younger consumers, uh, let's call it less than 30. And we see growth on the other spectrum, uh, 45 plus. Um, now, that may not be the best news in the world in the sense that, you know, we would ideally like to have dealt with our debt situation by the time we get into our 50s. But it also shows that, you know, those consumers realize they're getting close to retirement uh, and, you know, they want to make sure that they deal with the expensive debt, which... By the way, half of the debt that we see is unsecured debt, and it, now it's coming at around 25.6% uh, average interest rate per annum, which is, I think we can all agree, that's very expensive debt. So that's one of the reasons I think people are hopefully uh, dealing with it sooner than they did before. But uh, with February being the uh, National Debt Awareness Month in South Africa, um, the, the topic this year is financial sustainability. What does that look like? I think for different people, it would look a little bit different. And it's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, for example, uh, financial sustainability for for someone who uh, has an asset, it might be that they are comfortable that they have enough room to pay down that asset in the time frame that they have been given, uh, that they made a plan in place. For someone else, it could be that they can pay for their school fees, for their kids' school fees without really worrying about it. For others, it would be, you know, learning to manage their a credit score in such a way that in two to three, five years' time, whenever it might be, they're ready. They'll be in a prime position to borrow, uh, uh, you know, from, from a cost of credit perspective. And I think all of these things really um, pushed us to think, what can we provide uh, as online tools to help consumers see this? And we built a number of tools on, on our website that are all free for consumers to really be able to see these things, uh, you know, whether it's a sustainability index or whether what their credit score is compared to their peers. I think the more people engage with the, the data that's at their disposal, uh, the better they will be able to pass in terms of what, you know, what it means for them individually uh, in terms of financial sustainability. We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, Benay. That's Benay Sega of Debt Busters on the latest debt index. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. Now, trade unions have welcomed the decision by the Competition Commission to appeal the Forex case ruling that was given by uh, the Competition Appeal uh, Court. And I'm joined on the line by the SAFTU spokesperson. uh, That's Trevor Shauku at the South African Federation for Trade Unions. Trevor, good day. Thanks for the time. Uh, Obviously, this uh, appeal process is far from over. It just means that we have to go back and uh, revisit the case and revisit a couple of other things. But how significant is this uh, in terms terms of uh, being able to hold institutions accountable for uh, these sorts of transactions. Thanks, Jimmy, and thanks for having us. Look, uh, we actually welcome this because, indeed, we don't think that the Competition Commission should relent on the issues concerning corporations that are suspected or are alleged to have committed certain commercial crimes. And in this instance, 
not just a smaller crime, but a crime that has ripple effects for the economy because we don't know during the allegations or during the period of the allegation when the South African rent would have gone into devaluation and in those particular periods where it would have gone into devaluation of the currency, that would have had ripple effects to the economy and to the uh, ability of the working people to be able to afford certain things because we know that for those goods which are exported, those commodities which are exported, of course, the consumer prices, that, sorry, the, the devaluation of the currency has an implication on the consumer prices as soon as those particular commodities come into the shelves of our own retail shops. So we think that the South African uh, uh, Competition Commission has got the right and we are at the current moment, of course, supporting them on that basis. And we think that they do have jurisdiction. We have argued in the past that we have jurisdiction because it has been taken from one pillar to another on the basis of technical issues. And these technical issues have unfortunately prolonged the length of the case from the time it was initiated in 2017. And this, in our view, is a way for these particular banks or some of these banks, because others have come to admit guilt and paid fines, but some of these banks to avoid accountability. So the, 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 the Competition Commission uh, absolutely has our support to take this forward. We also have faith in them that they are not just going to be wasting their resources to take a case to the Constitutional Court if they do not have the basis for that. And I think they do have the basis for that. Trevor, will the support of the unions remain in place if, it, if the investigations then come out uh, to suggest that the South African banks um, were in we're all in this together and more so than that uh, th- there was some additional involvement whether it's from government or other organizations indeed in fact our issue comes here because the banks especially commercial banks have come to act as if they are more powerful than the state itself and that's the reason why they would even undermine the state's property because the south african currency is the state's property if they were involved it would be befitting to actually give them the greatest fine and even get certain uh, 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 corporate uh, uh, officials at the time in those particular banks who are engaged in that to be prosecuted, not just to get uh, fines out of these particular banks, but to get specific individuals prosecuted out of this. Because in our view, that amounts to treasonous acts. Because if you are sabotaging uh, one of the most sacred Uh, property of the South African state, which is the South African currency. Like I've explained before, this has ripple effects to the economy. It has ripple effects in the wholesale. It has ripple effects in retail. But beyond that, it also has ripple effects in the type of policies that government initiates. Because quite often, whenever they take and initiate certain policies, it will be on the basis of responding to a certain crisis. It would mean that the South African state would have uh, uh, enacted certain uh, measures to fight this particular devaluation at the time if it did it, re- it resulted in devaluation and if you check between 2007 and, tw- and, and 2013 that you'll realize that there would have been times when it, it devaluated and times when it appreciated so definitely there could be a link between their activities in manipulating the currency and the devaluation of the currency at the time and like i said that would amount to Trisna's act And we must be able to show these local banks, commercial banks, that the South African state is the only state or the only entity that has monopoly on violence. But secondly, that has monopoly 
on uh, ensuring that people stick to the laws of the country. Thirdly, we've got to teach the commercial banks of South Africa that they are mere appendages to the central bank. If the South African uh, Reserve Bank decides to withdraw licenses for these commercial banks, it can do so. And therefore, this could be, in our view, a thing which we put forward to show them that this is not a thing to play off, even in the future. If they contemplate manipulating the currency pay in the forex market, they should know that there would be serious consequences. And those serious consequences for us could be the closure or the withdrawal of those particular licenses, demoting them either to mutual banks uh, without the rights uh, uh, which they are enjoying at the current moment uh, to a lower status or pulling that particular right altogether. Of course, that may have implications, but we think that it is the very reason why the state must begin to contemplate creating its own state banks. Switching gears for a second, uh, Trevor, uh, you you mentioned that the state must contemplate uh, these sorts of things, but something else the state is busy with is the fuel price. We got a fuel price announcement, uh, or the increase rather, that took effect midnight tonight. Should we not be reviewing this uh, as well in part of uh, reviewing things that are for the benefit of the people with the fuel price setting at nearly 24 Rand? uh, Is that really still in the benefit of the people? Not really. Uh, it, it is not in the benefit of the people uh, because those fuel prices again have ripple effects. So most of the businesses obviously factor in the price of fuels as the raw materials or rather the means of production, the, the costs of production that go into the reproduction of whatever goods or services that they are rendering. So in that instance, it would have ripple effects in the value chain. And you may begin to see some of the prices of certain goods increasing because the fuel prices have gone up. But there's also a direct negative impact on households is that the the motorists who are already at the current moment, especially the middle the middle strata, is highly indebted. We have seen that the debt busters have released a report that shows that uh, those earning above 35,000 rands per month are actually indebted of their net income to debt ratio is up to 140%. That shows you that these people are highly indebted. And this is cost, of course, in part by the fact that the interest rates have been rising, whereas these people uh, have home loans, have mortgage bonds, have car loans, and are financing most of their uh, household assets through banks and through uh, uh, credit. So it is a problem which, in our view, will just be adding to the rising cost of living, which is a crisis at the current moment. Crisis upon crisis. We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, Trevor. That's Trevor Shaku of uh, South African Federation of Trade Unions on the latest decision by the Competition Commission to appeal the Forex case, as well as where we stand on fuel prices. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. State of the Nation address is tomorrow evening and with that obviously come a lot of questions and a lot of expectations around what we uh, hope the President might say. I'm joined on the line by Ngozinati Matlangu who is the Youth Employment Portfolio Head at Momentum Metropolitan to take a look at this. Uh, good day Ngozinati, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, as we head into SONA tomorrow, the last SONA of the current administration before we go into elections, youth unemployment sits at 58%. What are we hoping the President says tomorrow? Thank you so much, and uh, greetings uh, to all the listeners. It is quite an important uh, uh, State of the Nation address, and uh, this comes at the point where we have a very high youth unemployment rate, and we have just, uh, you know, congratulated the, the matric class of 2023, 
And this sauna needs to shape their future in terms of where to from here. As we know that as a country, we are faced with so many socioeconomic ills where we have, uh, you know, economic inactivity uh, amongst young people. And we have uh, young people that are still in search of skills that will lead them to jobs. And those who have started their businesses, they need support in terms of how do they sustain their businesses so that they could also create jobs in the long run. Ngozinati, you mentioned the matrix, and obviously the concern there is matrix will become another statistic adding to that youth unemployment if we don't find uh, alternative solutions for them, uh, whether it be uh, getting them into higher education or getting them into uh, jobs. From a job perspective or from a business perspective, what is there to encourage the youth to start their own businesses? At the moment, there is very little incentive or support from the government to youth that want to start their businesses. 100%, there is little room to wiggle as well, uh, especially when you're talking about small businesses, because uh, what we are expecting from this one, especially when we, you know, we focus on uh, the youth of South Africa, is to see if the promises from the previous owner have been delivered upon. We remember there was a mention about removing red tape for small businesses to thrive. And we need to now have a progress report in terms of how far are we with that? Has anything happened in that space? Has the needle shifted? And also, in as far as the critical skills assessment, we need to know where should young people go for further education and training so that they acquire skills that will bring them back into active participation when it comes to the economy. So this SONA is so important to young people to an extent whereby we just need to see how far are we from the promises that were made in the previous SONA because now this is time where we need to deliver and tick the boxes to say this has been covered and this is where we're still lacking instead of maybe going through another sauna that might be a repetition of what the young people have been promised before. Nkosinati, speaking of promises that have been made before, what is the roadmap, what does the plan look like if we go into tomorrow's sauna and we get none of what you're suggesting? It's going to be a, a, a very interesting uh, sauna to, to, to deal with if that would be the, the direction it takes. Because uh, number one, uh, we are at the point whereby young people are also encouraged to be you know, active citizens as we are in the election year. So we want to see and hear young people. Their voice matters. And we need to bring them closer to to carving solutions to the socioeconomic uh, ills that we are faced with as a country, whereby we say nothing for young people without young people. So it's a matter of now getting into a point whereby we're saying we have identified these two, three critical areas where young people needs to you know to be elevated need to be empowered and then we can now start to have some realistic timelines and also uh, realistic expectation in terms of what can be achieved in the you know uh, medium to long term than just having all these things that we'd like to have but without any plan of action in terms of how do we get there so we need tangibles in this uh, sauna so that we can have uh, you know points that we can discuss plan and most importantly execute on Nkosinati, as Momentum uh, Metropolitan, what are you doing within your portfolio uh, around youth unemployment to encourage uh, the youth to find the opportunities as they may exist or to to bridge the gap where the government may be falling short? Yeah, you know, um, through the, the, the work that we do as Momentum Metropolitan Foundation, we believe in collaboration. We also go out there, you know, to seek uh, those public-private partnerships whereby we collaborate with uh, non-profit organizations, training institutions that have a skill set that will land young people into jobs. And uh, by doing that, this is also, you know, uh, based on research in terms of what would be 
the skill set and the areas through which young people can be empowered, upskilled, and also being placed into meaningful jobs. And uh, this cannot be achieved by us alone, and which is why we always, you know, seek partners that will help us and young people in their numbers. And we're looking uh, at the geographical spread of our programs also putting into uh, into mind the gender uh, the gender aspect whereby we also need to empower young uh, young young females of south africa and also make programs accessible to youth with disabilities so our task and our purpose is to enable those aspirations of young people through the collaborations that we are forming with the various entities that will help us make a significant dent into this high unemployment rate. Well, thanks for that. We will wait on the pronouncements from Sona tomorrow and see what the president has to say around youth unemployment. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, Ngosinati Matlangu, Youth Employment Portfolio Head at Momentum Metropolitan on the youth expectations for Sona tomorrow. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. On Monday, the mining in Daba began in Cape Town, but another event that also started in Cape Town at that time was the alternate mining in Daba. I'm joined on the line by Leborang Ramafoko, who is the Oxfam South Africa Executive Director, to take a look at this. Uh, good day, Leborang. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, obviously, AMI coinciding with the mining in Daba is no coincidence there. Um, how is AMI different? What are the focus areas of the alternate mining in Daba? Thank you so much for having me. So you are right. It is not a coincidence that we are having this during the big uh, mining in Daba where governments and also corporations are meeting and talking about mining. But for us at Oxford South Africa, we believe in the power of people. We believe in the fact that there can be nothing about us as communities without us. And the Alternative Mining in Daba is a partnership of civil society organizations and Oxfams, including movements, that basically ensure that the voices of the people are at center stage. It is an opportunity for organizations and communities that are often on their own when they either challenge big corporations like what we saw in Kolobeni around Shell, and others can come together and act in solidarity. For us, it's very uh, uh, simple. It is people, the environment before profits. And so the alternative mining in Daba is really that opportunity to live to our um, vision as Oxfam South Africa by putting people at the center in fighting inequality. As South Africa, we do know, and and Africa as a whole, we do know the ravishing effects of mining in communities. And we want to make sure that as we talk about even just transition, we continue to get the voices of people at the center of the work that we do. Leborang, speaking of talking about uh, the important issues, what were the issues that were top of mind at this year's AMI gathering? Uh, what are the concerns and what was tabled on the agenda from an AMI perspective? One of the major issues that communities are uh, complaining about is how consultation happens, that in many instances it is a tick box exercise, that in some instances when big companies come, they come in partnership with government and the leaders of communities, whether they are traditional leaders, whether they are municipal leaders, will then be co-opted in almost convincing and in some instances coercing 
communities to basically agree with what mining cooperations want to do in their respective communities. So this prior informed consent that is a right of communities is not realized, not because the consultation does not happen, but the quality of the consultation, but also the tactics that are being played by the companies and those who hold power. And you will know that because in many parts of Africa, we live in a patriarchal society. A lot of times women are left out of these negotiations. LGBTQI plus communities are left out of these discussions and young people are left out of these discussions. So how do we make sure that prior free consent becomes a reality in substance and not only in a ticking box exercise? The other issue that came up was the whole issue of language, where communities are basically saying sometimes the language is so jargony that you would think that as a community member, you've got nothing to contribute. But particularly women as social enterprises are looking at what they are doing in their own communities and how, for an example, in Ekuruleni, they are turning waste into wealth. They've started a social factory in partnership with Oxfam South Africa. That will be a profit-making enterprise, partnering with the municipality, but also partnering with Unilever, which is a private entity, to ensure that they create a win-win partnership, but also the work can be sustainable. And I mention this because while we all agree that we need to reduce our carbon footprint, we also understand that just transition is going to come not only with opportunities, but there are concerns about the job losses. And so how are we making sure, particularly in South Africa, where there is so much unemployment, that we are making sure that communities like Vidbang, for an example, that relied on coal are going to be reskilled, particularly when those communities around Midupi, around many of the power plants, are living in abject poverty and they are also facing some of the environmental, health and social challenges that come out of these big institutions. But we also know that governments are not acting alone. So how are we going to make sure that the voices of these communities are heard by the international funding institutions and basically are able to be transparent in some of the funding that governments have been given and also are aware of the commitments that they may have made and also the consequences of some of these big projects. So really the messages are there are opportunities, but there are also issues that we need to bring about. And lastly, for us as Oxfam South Africa, we are saying that you could either have a just transition where it is just, it is equitable, it is fair, or you can have just a transition where we tick the box, we have transitioned, but those that were rich, the 1% of the population that have trillions of dollars continue getting rich, and the 99% of all of us end up with not having the kind of resources that are needed to make sure that this is a just transition. Lebohang, what are the expectations of civil society and uh, those gathered at AMI from the other stakeholders, that being uh, accountable government, that being the investment community, those that are attending the mining in Daba? What are those expectations around not getting to uh, the point where there is not a just energy transition and there is just a transition? So for us, what is important is for all of the key players, our governments, 
corporations is to understand that they are not going to silence the voices of civil society. And that is why we are gathering as civil society and we are enabling civil society to gather. That's number one. We've got voice as communities and we've agency. The second thing is to say that we are watching what our commitments, particularly our different countries and our different communities are doing. Long is the time gone of leaders thinking that they can be in bed with big business and not carry the aspirations of communities with them in the negotiations that we make. So we will be watching very closely what Minister Mandashe, what the president, what the deputy president is negotiating. And yes, while as a country that is looking at growing the economy, there can be excitement. We cannot put profits before people. We have seen how our current economic structure has not transformed the lives of the majority of the people, particularly 30 years after democracy. And while we are sitting with business, we need to make sure that what that translates into is us being within the context of a developmental state, within the context where we want the majority of South Africans that had been excluded from the economy being included in just an economy transition. We'll leave it at that. We'll hope and pray that the government uh, does hear these calls. That was Lebohang Ramafoko, Oxfam, South Africa, on People Before Profits. Top stories to keep your eyes and ears on. Before we go, yesterday on our daily poll, we asked whether you believe the mining sector has the potential to ease unemployment. An overwhelming number of you believe that it can and that it also has the opportunity for unskilled workers to get the necessary skills and training they require. We stay on the employment track for today's poll and we're asking how the government should fix the country's youth unemployment. Vote on your LinkedIn and X pages and results will be on tomorrow's show with Jeremy. That's been MoneyWeb at midday, live at noon, weekdays and then available as a podcast. Thanks for listening and goodbye. 